0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. In, in 25 plus now years of ministry, I've not preached one time out of the book of Names. So here we are I know, mark it on your calendars Let's make a memorial Nahum chapter number 1 Verse number 3 There's only three chapters In the book of Nahum So it's quite small Nahum chapter number 1 Verse number 3 If you're there say amen If not, just cheat and look at the screen Amen The Bible states these words The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, drieth up all the rivers, Bashan languisheth. Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth the mountains quake at him the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence yea the world and all that dwell therein if I can take you back to verse 3 the second portion of that the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his speech. I want to minister to us tonight, and I am going to endeavor here to preach. I've been doing that here some on Wednesdays. However, for a little newscast with all intentions, starting next month on Wednesdays, we'll start a series on the book of Acts. That's 28 chapters. Amen. So we'll start as, That doesn't mean that's 28 lessons, but that's 28 chapters. We'll start a series on the book of Acts. But tonight, I'm going to try to preach the word of the Lord. I want to preach you this subject matter. The clouds are the dust of His feet. The clouds are the dust of His feet. If you'll help me in prayer right now. Jesus, I come to you tonight. I need you, O oh Lord Jesus, for the next little while to order my, my thoughts and my words. I pray, O oh God, tonight, if it feels though, Lord, you have laid this upon my my shoulders here today. I pray, O Lord, do justly by it. God, I pray through this, Lord, this instrument of play. God, let someone be spoken to. Let someone, God, be ministered to. Lord Jesus, in this place, encouraged perhaps by the word of the Lord and will not fail, God, to thank you, give you the praise for these things. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen, and the church say, amen. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. If I ever die, someone's going to be able to say it whenever Pastor McGee prayed and he was finished praying. He usually said amen twice. Is that not right? I'm aware of my own little things as well. Amen. I just want to ask a question to see if I in anywhere in the right vicinity here tonight. Is there anybody that is going through something right now, maybe in the past few weeks, something going on in your life that you would just rather wasn't there, <laughs> so to speak, wish it wasn't there? I hope through the word of the Lord tonight to be able to encourage you through the word of God. The clouds are the dust of his feet. The book of Nahum deals with the judgment of Nineveh. About a hundred years before Nahum prophesied here in his book, God had sent Jonah to Nineveh to call for the repentance of the people of Nineveh, as many of you may remember the story of Jonah. Jonah, as that book tells us, was reluctant to obey God because he knew how merciful The Lord was. He knew the character of God, how there was a mercy side to God that if someone would repent, that God would forgive. He knew that if the people had heeded the request that they should turn things around, make their wrongs right, that God would forgive them and keep back or stay His hand of judgment upon the city of Nineveh. And so the first day that Jonah comes to Nineveh, he finally gets there, has a little trouble getting there because of his own own purposes. But the first day the Bible says that Jonah preached, guess what? The people repented. Amen. And their sackcloth, their ashes, and they had a, a solemn assembly Amen. among their city. And so then with a sense of disgust, Jonah recounts and says, the Lord is slow to anger. He's not saying that as a comforting tool. He's saying that with disgust in his mind and heart because he knew that if they repented, God would forgive. And so while the Lord was slow to angry, Jonah wasn't so much so. He was a little upset over this. And so now in Nahum, a century later, Nahum is writing about the fall of the empire of Assyria, namely the city of Nineveh. And talking about the celebration that's going on in Jerusalem. And he even picks up the same phrase that Jonah had used concerning the Lord. And declares that the Lord is slow to anger. However, differently from Jonah, not saying it with disgust. Nahum is mentioning it with a sense of sincerity. That truly the Lord is, and thankfully so, a Lord that is slow to anger. And so here in the scripture, the heavy hand of the Lord is against the enemies. It is against Nineveh. Amen. And what was happening and about ready to happen here in the book of Nahum, Nahum was not by no means a knee-jerk reaction on God's part. God had been depicted and is and was and forever shall be a very much so merciful God. This was something that was taking place that God had planned long ago, even before Jonah. This was gonna happen had not the people repented. But they repented, and as a result, God stayed back his hand. Amen. God was gonna bring judgment. But note very assuredly that God does not bring judgment without there being multitude and multitude of opportunities for repentance. God will always sound alarm. God will always sound a warning before he brings his heavy hand of judgment down. Always provide opportunity for repentance. And though the writing of Nahum here seems to be very harsh, if you would read these three chapters perhaps when you got home tonight, they seem to be very harsh, but we must understand that this is the record of the outcome of the mercies of God being ignored. The mercies of God being overlooked. Nahum's name. Even means something that is compassionate or compassion or mercy. His name means mercy. Nahum does. His name means compassion. And so, surely, something's been overlooked here in the record. Amen. He's writing, it seems very harshly, concerning what God is going to do. Amen. But mercy here, could I say, was writing and pinning the words. Compassion was writing and pinning the words. And telling Nineveh some things like there was no healing. Healing for their bruise, telling them they have come to their, their, their rope's end and there was no more hope for them, but that's only because they've stepped over, treaded upon the mercy that had been extended to them. Nahum, in the scripture, we read the verses that I read to you tonight, and Nahum is, is projecting upon God human emotions. He's talking about a God that is jealous. He's talking about a God that is revengeful. He is talking about a God that is angry and full of wrath. Yet also he speaks about a God that is in great power. He is great, the Bible says in Nahum, in power. And so God here in scripture appears as a warrior that is ready to do battle against the enemies of Israel. Amen. Amen. Yet not very long ago, even just a minor prophet backward in Micah, we also seen God was poised and as a, at a stand as a warrior against his own people right. and more particularly their sin. Right. The Bible tells us in Micah seven eighteen through 20, you can read of it there. Whenever the Lord was speaking to his own people, trying to extend mercy to his own people that he told them. And they told God, they understood. He was a merciful God. They understood that in judgment and correction that God was merciful. And they told God, God, you can pardon our iniquity. You you, you can't be angry forever against us. Uh, You like to be merciful to your people. Verse 19, they tell him, you you will have compassion on us. You You will deal with our sin. And look at verse 20 after you deal with our sin, you're going to turn around and bless us just like you promised Jacob and Abraham a dog. They were talking about the characterization of their God that he is so so generous and so kind and so long-suffering that God will take a, 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 a chance on us in so much he'll judge our sin and turn around and bless the sinner. which is a wild moment to consider that God would do such a thing. And so there is a long journey then of mercy, not just for the people that don't know God, but even for the people that do know God. He has mercy for those that he calls his, and he has mercy for those that he don't call his. And so Nahum is describing the great power of his Lord. And as he's telling us about God's power, he tells us some things that demonstrate the great power of his Lord. He says the Lord has the ability to rebuke the sea. That the Lord has the ability to dry up the rivers. He has the ability to cause the mountains to quake, the hills to melt, the earth even at the presence of the Lord are impacted just by the presence of the Lord. Amen. But even still in verse number three tonight, he tells us that the Lord is great and one characterization or means by which the Lord is great is this. is that the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. Amen. In other words, he says in the whirlwind and in the storm, these things that have connotations of being disastrous, These things that have connotations such as the clouds that are looming in the sky that accompany some horrible events like a whirlwind or like a storm. He says in all of these things uh, even the clouds are the dust of his feet. That whenever you find the whirlwind he's saying you can also find God. That when you find the storm you can also find God. When you see the foreboding of what would seem to appear as a very dangerous, very negative cloud you can find the dust of God's feet. Someone say amen. See, I'm talking to people tonight that I don't think we have to begin to explain the connotations of whirlwinds or the connotations of storms or clouds in my particular generation or perhaps even in your generation because I understand them. When you talk about a storm is happening in your life, I understand what that means. When you're talking about it seems like you've been overtaken by a whirlwind, you don't have to say anything else. I understand you're in some hard times. I understand you're in some times when it seems like you're reaching up just to touch bottom. When you say clouds have gathered in and all around you, I know what you're talking about. There are some things that have come into your life that were unexpected. You're seemingly thinking unneeded, but they're still there. So I understand all of that. Amen. Understand that we're talking about nothing but negativity when we're talking about a whirlwind or a storm or clouds. I understand all that. I understand. See, see, folks, Here's this is just humanity. We don't typically associate clouds with a good day. Although there are clouds sometimes in some of the most sunniest days. You do not focus on the cloud, you focus on the sun. Clouds usually don't have the connotation of something that is delightful, something that is good, amen. We normally don't equate it with good things or positive things. Someone say amen. But usually when we talk about whirlwinds and storms and clouds, we're talking about categories of destruction. We're talking about negativity. We're talking about bad news. We're talking about unforeseen mishaps. We're talking about some bad upheavals that's taken place, happenstances that are happening in our lives. It's so much that Solomon said in Proverbs 1, 27, he even used the likeness of our destruction. He says our destruction was coming as a whirlwind. Our destruction was coming as a whirlwind, and folks, I'm not. I'm not too young to be so naive to think that the abundant life that Jesus was talking about in John 10, and you remember it. He said, "The thief cometh not, but to steal, to kill, and destroy." He said, "But I have come that you might have life. Everybody say life, life. and life more abundantly." Yeah. Now, listen, I'm not so naive to think that the abundant life that Jesus was talking about was a life having nothing to do with the absence of suffering. Because many times, if you've been around me very long, or as your pastor very long, you've probably heard me say this and even heard it from the pulpit. I oftentimes call the negative things of life or those less than desirable moments of life. Just that. Sometimes it's just life. You've heard me say it. Something going on in your life. You know, sometimes we want to draw to something, you know, just bizarre. But sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's just life. And so I ponder, Bishop, Christ said he's going to give me abundant life. And I think sometimes that abundance in this life just means more or less than stellar moments of life. Some of these things are just life and it seems like I got more of life than what I need. I understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. Listen, I'm not in a different boat than you are here lately. I'm not in a different boat than you are. Can I share just... And I'm just doing this for the sake Do you understand that we're in the same boat. I'm in the same boat that you are. You know, we, we, it's been, it been like over five years since we've been to the dentist because that costs money, right? So we went. Our whole family went. Used some tax money in order to go. And, and this... Please, no one feels sorry for me, all right? Because I know who my God is. But we went... For me and one of my children, that was $319. Then for my wife and then the other one, that was $319. And then she still has to have some fillings, done. that's going to be $300. Then I had to get new brakes and rotors around on our vehicle. That was $450, yeah. right? And then just yesterday, I had a guy. I went out my front door, and, man, there was a maze of stuff going in the air, something flying, and I told Donna, I said, we're going to have to call pest control. I'm not sure what this is. I thought I knew what it was, and I was right, and end ended up being termites. And that's going to cost $900. (laughs) Someone say whirlwind. Whirlwind. Someone say storm. Storm. Someone say clouds. And so what I'm saying is there's sometimes life just happens life just happens and there's less than stellar moments that come up on life now that just I could tell you some other things but I don't want to get you depressed before you leave here tonight amen but nevertheless those are just some things that happen in life but I'm here to tell us tonight that every whirlwind and every storm although they may seem harsh on the surface amen are not always judgment from God someone hear me There are some storms that are and there are some storms that are not. But there are some calamities that come into our lives because sometimes the people around you. Someone say amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 27 and 28 that Paul was subjected to quite a big storm and he even suffered shipwreck but it wasn't because what he had done it's because he was on the same boat with some people who didn't want to listen to the guidance of God so he was in a storm it was just part of life not because Paul had done anything but because of who was around him Noah and his family experienced a flood everybody say a flood because not because they were unrighteous because they lived in a a generation of unrighteousness, and they were subjected to it. It was just a part of life. Someone say amen. amen. Yes, sir. And so what I understand is this tonight. There is nothing. There is no immunity from life storms, even when you're living in a close relationship with God. Right. Did you hear what I said? There is no immunity from life storms, even when you're living in a close relationship with God. You can't ponder every whirlwind and storm and cloud in somebody's life. Well, they must be far from God. That might not be the case. They might be closer to God than anybody else. Because I've come to the understanding to believe that a relationship with God many times improves the odds for a whirlwind, for a storm, or for a cloud. Someone say amen. Someone say yes. Because Nahum, because Nahum said, the Lord hath his way, he hath his path, he hath his reason, he hath his cause, he hath his purpose in the whirlwind and in the storm. That brings me consolation. That brings me some reassurance tonight. Hey Amen. That brings me reassurance. That wherever there is a whirlwind. And wherever there is a storm. God has a command In, about and around in that storm in other words he's in control of it he's making it serve his own purpose and his own plan most simply if there's a whirlwind or if there's a cloud or if there's a storm God's right there in the middle of it all and so the moment when you think he might be the furthest from you quite on the contrary he's really the closest he can be to you So whatever the purpose, whatever the reason of the whirlwind or the storm, i got to find comfort and be su- suffice for my knowledge to know that his way yes. is in the whirlwind. Yes, it is. And his way yes. is in the storm. Right. Right? Right. right? Because we go back to good old Job that we oftentimes lean on, assailed by heartache in almost every, every conceivable area of his life. And yet the Bible tells us in two chapters, in two verses, on two occasions where the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Why? Because God had made his way in the world. (laughs) Someone say yes. Yes. So I'm asking us this evening. Wherever you may be, what you may be going through tonight, please don't prejudge every storm. That's right. Uh Uh-huh. That, that may be or may seem to be attacking your life because God, regardless of its purpose, is still in the midst of it. Whether it's for judgment or whether it's not, whether you brought it upon yourself or because it's there of others that are around you, regardless, God is still in the way in the path, in the midst of the whirlwind and the storm. Someone say yes. See what would have happened if Elijah had old had ran away from the whirlwind. He would have ran away from the very thing that would have been taking him from earth to heaven. That was ushering from this life to the next life into the very presence of God. If he avoided the whirlwind, but God was in the midst of that whirlwind. Someone say, "Amen." Amen. Let's walk with. See God's calling card throughout much of the scripture has been the cloud everybody say the cloud God's calling card throughout much of the scripture has been the cloud at the conclusion of the Mount Sinai experience when the covenant was made with the people when the ten commandments were brought down when the tabernacle plan was established the Lord came down the Bible says Upon the mountain in clouds and fire and vapor of smoke. They left Egypt. They go about a three days journey out into the wilderness. There's a mountain. And God introduces himself to a people that were bound that are now free. In the form of a cloud. And so something becomes impressed upon those impressionable people. That God is in the cloud. And God is in the fire. And God is in... we're in a different generation. We seem to can't find God in the storm. We can't find God in the fire. We can't find God in the smoke. But that generation knew from their introduction with God, God's in the cloud. God's in the fire. God's in the smoke. God's in the whirlwind. God. Someone say yes. His calling card was the cloud. In so much that his thumb of endorsement for both the tabernacle and the temple is that he filled both of them. At those two different times with the cloud. Which was his presence. Amen. Him being in the midst of them. Moses and Joshua go a little distance from the tent of the meeting. Was set outside the camp. They go to that tent of meeting. And what happens? The Bible says the Lord comes down in the form of a cloud. Indicating his presence. And God was very near to them. And he had conversation with them. And he was speaking to them. Out of a cloud. Someone say glory. The nation of Israel is looking at a wilderness that's intimidating, looking at a wilderness that they know they got to go through in order to get through their promise. And as they look out there, the spirit of the Lord lights upon them in Exodus 16. And the Bible says, as they looked out into that dismay and that and that intimidating environment, the Bible says they seen the glory of the Lord, and He appeared in a. He appeared in a cloud up there. God was reaffirming something over and over in the minds of his people. Just because it's a cloud does not mean it's not God. Just because it's a storm does not mean God's not there. Just because it's a wor- yes. some would say yes. yes. Calling cards to the cloud. What was it, a pillar of fire by night, but what was it by day, a pillar of cloud by day that was leading them, that was guiding them, that was instructing them. Someone say amen. And the Bible says rather than separating from that cloud, the Bible says that when the cloud moved, the people moved, not away from it, but closer to it because they had the discernment and they had the voice of God from Sinai that told them where the cloud is, I am. Where the cloud falls, my presence is there. Where the cloud shows up, Come on, say hallelujah. Job even said in Job 22 and verse 14, he said thick clouds, he said thick clouds are a covering to him. God oft times conceals himself in a cloud. So much so that he told Moses, Moses, whenever you come in to the holies of holies where the ark is and the mercy seat is, he says, I'll visit with you, I'll talk with you, I'll commune with you, I'll instruct you. From between the two cherubim upon that mercy seat. And I'll appear there. I'll be in the cloud. Everybody doing all right? I'm having fun. He says, I'll be right there in the clouds. Now, for us, as I said, our normal connotations are not good. With clouds. Someone goes out and says it's overcast. That doesn't mean, oh, yay. Right? We have good, good associations with clouds. As a matter of fact, clouds, even still yet today, can be the indications of perhaps a pending storm that may be in the distance. But folks, there is comfort. Listen to me now. There is comfort when you understand them that the clouds are the dust of the master's feet. That the clouds are nothing more but indication. That he's not far. Someone say amen. Amen. David said in Psalms 97 and verse 2. He said clouds and darkness. Are round about him. Him who? God. He said clouds and darkness. Are round about him. Psalms 18 and 11. David said this. He said his. God's pavilion. Were thick clouds. saying his pavilion, his dwelling place, his tabernacle, where he resides are some of those thick clouds of the skies. You're saying, woe is me, but God's right in the middle of that. You're looking at a circumstance that seems insurmountable, but God's right in the middle of it. I'm looking at all the money and saying, God, where's it going to come from? But God says, I'm right here. Some of you are looking at some illnesses. Some of you are looking at disease. Some of you are looking at losses. And God says, I'm right in the middle of all of that mess and I'm He's not far, he's not far. consider with me consider with me you look into the skies and you consider the natural clouds from below amen many times we say well it's going to rain it's going to storm oh it's black look at the clouds it's going to thunder from below a cloud can look dangerous but from God's point of view it's nothing but dust to him amen the clouds from below look at great things amen they're bigger than life beyond our size and beyond our measure but from the vantage point of God, there's small things, even the dust of his feet. In so much, I guess we could use the old cliche in a literal work what is seemingly over your head is under God's feet. Yes. Someone say, Yes, yes. It's, it's been remarked, science bears it out. That clouds, owe their beauty, more importantly, even their existence. Their very existence to the presence of dust particles. Because it takes dust particles in the atmosphere that the vapor in the sky can get upon. And as they condense the invisible, the dust, become visible through the form of a cloud someone say amen in other words if there was no dust there could be no cloud meaning then before there was a cloud there was some dust he said the clouds are the dust of my feet if I'd say like this the cloud just makes visible what you couldn't see before the cloud just makes visible the unseen dust of the master's feet your present day storm your present day whirlwind Your present day cloud I don't know what's going on I'll tell you what's going on God is making what was formerly invisible Visible to you And it's his power It's his presence It's his unction It's his nearness But sometimes we don't realize it Until we go through some junk and stuff And heartache and woe And it's like there it is That's the dust of the master's feet right there. Someone say Amen, amen. I didn't know when I started. I'll just know when I quit. Everybody doing okay? Yeah. Is anybody being helped? Wednesday night. Sweating hard on Wednesday nights here lately. Clouds of the dust. The master's (laughs) feet. See, something happened from Sinai until the New Testament. Might I say even yet today. Something has happened since Sinai until the New Testament and even today. Listen to me. Because the original connotation of the cloud has been lost. Israel of old, when they seen the cloud, They weren't thinking dismay. They weren't thinking woe. They were saying, there's the presence of God. There's the power of God. He's near. He's close. But something changed from Sinai to the New Testament. For that matter, if we were to look at the very first time God ever mentioned a cloud in the Scripture, it's when he told Noah in Genesis 9 that he would set the bow in the cloud. As a token of his covenant. And that covenant was simply and very basically this. Noah, from this day forward, I will never bring what looks like or feels like judgment without a measure of mercy. And so, God, what's this measure of mercy? He's what, what, what is this, God? What are you saying? In other words, Noah, I'll never, I'll never be nearer than when you are overshadowed by a cloud. <laughs> Someone say amen. amen. Listen, dust of the feet. Dust of the feet are feet that are in activity. Dusty feet don't happen that are inactive. Dust of the feet are feet that are in activity. In other words, Noah, I'll never be more active than when it seems like I'm not active. I'll never be more active than when you're in the whirlwind. I'll never be more active than when you're in the storm. I'll never be more active than when you're looking and all you can see are the clouds. Because the clouds are the dust of the master's feet and if there's the dust of the master's feet the master's busy the master's active the master is up to something yeah. uh-huh. I only just got a little bit more time that's all I got That's my nose I think though just I don't have a hanker or anything I got to get some. Pull this curtain off here and start using it. Here we go. We don't need decoration. Let's just use it. That's almost like having lights on a tree that don't work, you know what I'm saying? Now, turn with me. I, I do want you to go here. I haven't, I, I've said a lot of scripture and some of them thrown up on the screen, but I want you to go here. Luke 12. You might be able to find that one. It's a little better than Nahum. Not better. It's just more. We're more acquainted with it. Luke chapter number 12. Verse 54. Here's what I want to show you here. Something happened from Sinai to the New Testament. And I say, even in our day, they have lost the connotation, the original connotation of the cloud. If you just look at Luke 12, verse 54, the Bible states these words. He says, Jesus speaks. He said also to the people, He said, When you see a cloud rise out of the west straightway, ye say, there cometh a shower. So it is. And when you see the south wind blow, ye say, there will be heat. And it cometh to pass. But He says, Ye hypocrites, look at it. Ye can discern. The face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that you do not discern this time? In other words, they, they, could, they could at once read the signs of nature. They could see a cloud and say, well, this this means this. Or, 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 or when the south wind blew, this meant this. He says, you, you could even tell. If I could say it like this. He said, you could see a cloud and say a storm was coming. He said, you, you could discern that from a cloud, but what are you missing about this time from the same things that are going on? Because the time he was talking about, he says, what, what they were trying to, that they should have grasped a hold of during this era, particularly the Jews, is that Messiah had come. Jesus Christ was living and walking and moving and healing and doing all these things. The very one that they were waiting for was there. But see, what they had done had lost the connotation of the cloud. They only seen it as a storm and could not perceive that God was in the middle of it all. All they could see is the upheaval of the Roman Empire. All they could see was how they were being persecuted and tortured and all these other things. But they couldn't trace the fingerprints of God in the midst of the whirlwind. He says, how is it you can see the storm and not see the God that makes his way in the storm? Someone say yes says there's indications around here that the presence of the messiah is here that this is the time of the messiah and so here it is whereas before the clouds were more so indicators of god's presence and indicators of his power amen and his presence there to lead them and guide them and instruct them now they have been interpreted nothing more but there's something that is intimidating there's something that's suppressing there's something that is overwhelming And so he reminds them of the words of the Old Testament. Or I might even remind you that his way is in the midst of the whirlwind. And in the midst of the storm. His way is in the midst of whatever may appear to be horrific and terrible that's happening in your Someone say amen. The forecast. Clouds. Oh, the forecast of a pending storm. Maybe, but they are also indications that there is the dust of the master's feet. That he's near. He's active. He's at work. Among the clouds. We have Oates saying, you know, there, we, we, we have this as a hope. You know, There's a silver lining in the clouds. Well, let God be that. Because whenever you think he's at distance from you, he is actually very near to you, even in your whirlwind, your storm. Your cloud. I'm coming to a close. Nothing to run from, because repeatedly, over and over again, you stand with me. You'll help me here. Repeatedly, over and over again, New Testament scripture. We read throughout the Gospels. We read in the Epistles. We read portions of this even in the Book of Revelation. Throughout the New Testament, what do we read? What does it constantly talk about? What does it tell us? That the Son of Man. That they sing go away in Acts 1. He's going to come again in like manner. The son of man is going to be coming in or with. Woo. The clouds. Honey, they're the dust of the master's feet. They are the dust of the master's feet. Micah said this in Micah 7 and 8. Many people know this and perhaps can quote it. But Micah chapter number 7 and verse number 8 states this. It says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I say when. In other words, it's not if. You're going to. There'll be a storm. There'll be a whirlwind. There'll be a cloud. When I fall, though, he says, I shall. I shall arise. Why? Because wherever I fail, God's right in the middle of all that. Wherever I fail, God's right in the middle of all that. Not only that, when? Everybody say when. When. Not if. You're going to be met by darkness. You're going to be enshrouded by some dark clouds. You are going to find it. You're going to sit in darkness. But look what he says. The Lord shall be a light unto me. What are you talking about? In the middle of my storm, in the middle of my whirlwind, where it's all dark, I'm going to have light. Why? Because God already made his way in the storm. God already made his way in the whirlwind. God already made his way in the cloud. Yeah, it might be dark, but I'm not left without a light because the cloud is nothing more but the dust of the master's feet. And in him there is no darkness at all. the Yeah, God was about ready to come with judgment against Assyria. And yes, God had judgment just in Micah upon his very own people. And so the strong hand of God sometimes coming doesn't have it sometimes anything to do whether you're saved or you're lost, whether you're where you should be or where you shouldn't be. But the moral of the story is this. In that measure in which that is happening, you can know assuredly that God is God is near because the way that we equate things is even as Jesus up to come to in His flesh on Calvary my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me? that's how we feel when things turn the opposite direction for us but it's not that He's far from us He's near even the arrangement of the clouds of the impending storm on our lives are nothing but the dust of His feet. He's near. He's close. So while you feel like you may be God may be far from you, or things are not stacking up the way they should be or ought to be and you've asked the question, where are you God? He's saying, do you see the cloud? It couldn't be there without the activity of the dust that came from my feet. Do you... You see the whirlwind? Don't don't walk away from it. Job, lend an ear to it. You might hear an answer from it. Right in the midst of the storm, that's his way. And I may never know his purpose for it coming by. All I need to know is that he was there when it was there. to know, you't have to give me a 20-point list, of why? if I just have the assurance that when I see the cloud, I've seen the dust of the master. I've seen the dust of the Master. We have our heads all across this place, Father Jesus. Thank you for listening.